you start blossoming like a flower changing every single day like you compare the the kid that was there in uh, five years uh, uh, or 10 years ago and then you look at that person uh, after around 10 or you know after a few years because they are exposed also not just to material stuff but to love you know they are surrounded with people that they love love can do miracles Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do in this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our chaotic world so that you can face the confusion and chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. One of the most confusing parts of life and difficult parts of our world that has been uh, a part of the world for all of human history is the issue of poverty and what we do about uh, about uh, cyclical poverty or uh, cases of extreme poverty that we see around the world or even uh, those who are in poverty around us. There's an organization that's doing excellent work in the area of alleviating poverty and pulling people out of the cycle of poverty, and that is the organization Compassion International. Maybe you've heard of them before, or maybe this is going to be new for you, but I've got a real treat for you today because we're going to be talking about the work that Compassion International does, but we're going to be talking about it with someone who is uh, an alumnus of the Compassion International program and who now works with Compassion. His name is uh, David Wangaka. David is passionate about understanding and alleviating social injustices, advocating for the vulnerable, and eradicating extreme poverty. His story is a beautiful picture of full circle redemption. This man who dedicated, who has dedicated his life for at-risk children was once an at-risk child himself. Raised in the shadow of Mount Kilimanjaro, Kenya, David knows all too well the challenges of extreme poverty, the vitality, uh, volatility, of an alcoholic father and the grief of losing his mother at a young age. When he was sponsoring his Compassion's child development program at 10 years old, the healthcare, education, and nutrition he received changed his life significantly. After high school, David was invited to participate in Compassion's leadership development program. This made it possible for him to pursue a college education graduating from the University of Nairobi with a double major in political science and sociology. He has an MBA from Louisiana State University in Shreveport. David works at Compassion International as a sponsor and donations uh, relations supervisor. He lives in Porterville, California with his wife, uh, Shondell, and their three sons, Shalom, Amani, and David Jr. I had a really great time getting to talk with David today uh, about his story, about the work that Compassion International does, what separates them uh, from others who are doing similar kind of work, and also get to talk about some of the uh, uh, political and social issues around uh, poverty, trying to alleviate poverty, the breakdown of the family that goes along with that so often, or is at least connected. Uh, We went to a wide range of topics, and it it was really great. David has such an awesome story. I really enjoyed getting to talk to him in this episode today. Uh, I really encourage you, if you are not already, to consider sponsoring compassion, uh, sponsoring a child through compassion after listening to today's episode. I have a link in the show notes that you can use uh, to go to compassion and start up your child sponsorship today. Uh, It is going to be cintl.org slash 
Aaron Champ. If you use that link, then it just lets you lets Compassion know that you listen to our show and that uh, and that we sent you over there. Uh, we don't get any kind of kickback or anything from that. It's just uh, our unique link to use. But if you use that link, you can go and sign up to sponsor somebody through Compassion. If you decide to today after listening to David's story, uh, maybe you're already sponsoring somebody. But if you look at your budget, you realize that you can be a little bit more generous than you're already being, and so you want to decide to sponsor another child through Compassion. And I would absolutely recommend that. So look in the description of this video uh, on YouTube, or if you're listening on uh, podcast, then you can look in the description there. I'll have the link there, but I'll also have it in the full show notes. So use that to go to Compassion and uh, sign up to become a sponsor of a child through their program. Also, if you have not yet already, consider subscribing to the show on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss out on any future episodes uh, or great content that we have planned for you. Well, without any further delay, let's get uh, let's jump into this great conversation that I got to have with David Wangaka. David, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron, for having me today. Well, thank I really you. appreciate you making the time to join us on the show today. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, you, you and I were talking before we started the recording, and I shared how uh, I had already gotten to uh, not not so much meet you, but get to hear your story a little bit and uh, get to know you some over a Zoom call that I was on with uh, a few other church leaders uh, back in October. And uh, and ever since then, I've been wanting to get to do something like this with you on the podcast. So once again, man, I really appreciate you making the time. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I've been looking forward since uh, your invitation uh, so that we can kind of have a conversation about uh, the worldview of what Christianity is all about and uh, uh, in perspective with poverty and what we are supposed to be doing and what's your our mission, what God is calling us. Yeah, and I'm excited to have this conversation that, uh, that we'll be having today and I hope uh, it, it's, it's going to have an impact to so many people. Me, yeah, I, I hope so as well, and I and I think it will. Uh, start off by telling us before we get into your story. Uh, tell us about what you do for Compassion because you actually you're on staff with Compassion yes. International. So, what is your job? So, I would like to start probably from the, a little bit from the beginning. Um, I I joined Compassion uh, in 2015. Uh, and it was in the department of sponsor and donor relations. This is where we help sponsors. It's mostly as a contact center uh, of some sort, uh, but it has grown so much uh, over the years as we continue growing as an organization. And so right now I, I lead a team of uh, representative all over across the United States in different states. Uh, most of them are, uh, some of them are in Hawaii, some are here, some in Texas, and so it's, it's something that God has really blessed us. So we are able to retain uh, great talent that can serve our, our supporters uh, and, and give them great services all over the United States. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And so you are, your journey in compassion, though, didn't just start in 2015, right? Absolutely. Uh, your journey in compassion started much, much earlier than that. So let's just start about. Uh, we're talking about your story. Tell us, uh, you're originally from Kenya and you were born into poverty and it's through, uh, and it was through the, the, the story that you got involved with compassion. Let's just start with the beginning. Tell us about your story and being, uh, in, in the situation that you were born into, uh, back in Kenya. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was born in Kenya in a small village. Um, and then I was raised in, in, near Mount Kilimanjaro, a place called Aloitoktok. Uh, it's in the Maasai land. We call it the Maasai land because that's where the Maasai tribe, most of them come from or they live there. Um, I come from a family of five. I have two brothers and two sisters. And uh, growing up, uh, we really did not have a lot. Uh, actually, my mom at some point, uh, you know, had to raise us, uh, the five kids all by herself for quite some time. And um, I remember she would only earn probably $1 a day. Um, and that's what we depended on to pay for uh, rent, food, uh, basic needs. And so mm -hmm. the priority for her at that time was uh, just to live in a small uh, shanty house, uh, mm. probably a 12 by 10 square feet. Um, we didn't have beds. We didn't have, you know, running water or anything. Mm -hmm. but, so um, how big was the town that you're from? Like, uh, that the town that I grew up in, mm -hmm. it was it was a very small town. Very small town. Um, yes, because twenty around twenty years ago, yeah, if I can remember, twenty twenty five years ago, yeah, it it had not grown as it has it had not actually developed as it has today, uh, because actually traveling from the capital city Nairobi to that place would sometimes when it rains it would take up to three days to get there wow um, and on a normal day it would take about 10 hours to get there so hmm. yeah it was just uh, in the outcast in the village <laughs> very much away from 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 from, uh, from the big city the capital city yeah so a very small village you grew up in and you said in yes. a, like a 12 by 10 foot uh, shanty house explain yes. to us just for any listeners who don't understand what, is yes. what, what do you mean by that? What is a shanty house? So this, so for example, when when you think about um, a normal structure where there is bricks and uh, you know there is nice, good roofing, uh, this is something that has almost been patched with iron sheet or tin. Um, so just something that has just been made to come together. Just it's almost like a homeless shelter, you per se, but much better. But it's something that when you see it, you you wouldn't believe someone can live there because it's so small. So imagine, um, imagine your bedroom, you know, the size of your bedroom, five people living, six people actually living in the same room. So that's the living room. That's the that's that's everything. There's no toilet inside. There's no bathroom inside. So everything is outside. Um, so when you describe poverty from a perspective of a of, of a different person that has never seen that, I think that's the best I would do to try and and let you know how uncomfortable it is to live all together, six people in a very small place. Um, there's no privacy because everything is divided in, you know, curtains. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> wow. so that's how, yeah, that's how I would, I would probably be able to describe it. But when you, you, when you Google places like, you know, slums, um, some of the biggest slums in the world, like the Kibera or uh, slums in Kenya or the other slums in South Africa, you can kind of tell what what really, how those shelters look like or those houses. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So there's, there is five of you, there's yes. a, of your family living uh, in a rented shanty house. Yes. Wow. Okay. 
And so, and your mother was making $1 a day to, yes. to support the whole family. Absolutely. Wow. And actually, sometimes it would be less than $1, to be honest. Um, so, so that was just the average. Yes, that would be average. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, mostly we would depend on her uh, bringing food uh, from the restaurant, a small restaurant she used to work from. Uh, mm-hmm. And so in the evening, she would bring something that we would share. Um, like cookies, uh, we call them mandazi in Kenya. It's just like uh, almost like a cookie dough, um, and that's what we would share. She would come late, so sometimes you know she would work the whole day uh, f- for more than twelve hours. Um, mm. So you can imagine during the day that means you really don't have food. If if you go to school and they are not serving any food, then you would starve that day, and you would wait until you go home in the evening or at lunchtime. Only to find actually there is still no food. So the only option that you would do at that time is to go to the street and find something you could eat after school. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so and so that was a part of your daily experience. Absolutely. Right? Or, uh, or... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Growing up uh, around six years old, uh, seven years old, that was my daily uh, routine. Uh, that's what I knew what life was. That, that's what I, I thought that's how life is supposed to be. So I actually did not know any difference at that time because uh, we were not actually alone. There were also other families in our the same situation that we were in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you and your siblings, this is something that each one of you would do or did you guys, um, you know, was there like, was it was it working together to, to, to find food for one another, or was it just each of you just, you, you found what you could, um, you know, so how did it work for, for you and your siblings until your mother would get home to give whatever she could provide? Sometimes we would do it together. Uh, we really didn't have a plan for every day. Sometimes we would do it together and sometimes we would do it, uh, separately, like Mm -hmm. depending on, whoever the friend that you have and wherever they are going to find uh, something they can eat. Some of us would go to the marketplace uh, and uh, others would go to a dumpster. So it depends with whatever you feel like you would get something to eat. Um, Sometimes we would even go and uh, get like the leftovers at hospitals, really, uh, which is even much dangerous. Yeah. Even more dangerous. Even more dangerous, absolutely. Really? Okay, what makes that more dangerous? So when you think going to a hospital, especially a hospital uh, in a a village, uh, you're not thinking of an international hospital. You're you're just thinking about, uh, you're, you're thinking about sanitary, you know, like it's not as organized as we know hospitals here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a hospital where like you're going to eat food from a sick person who was not able to finish their food. So mm-hmm. whatever they had, mm-hmm. they might transfer to you easily. Okay. But, but poverty and, and, and starvation sometimes can push you to the edge. Sometimes you are, it's almost like you take risk for you to survive. So when you're in that survival mode, it doesn't matter what how you are going to survive. You will just try and do anything and hope that God will protect you from from harm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it sounds like as even as a small child. I mean, so how old were you during the, this time period where this was daily life? 
I was, uh, I would say, probably from the age of three to the age of around nine. That's the life I lived uh, wow. for that. And so this very high-risk lifestyle, yes. um, I'm sure high-risk not just from disease and pathogens, right? But yes. but but also from, I'm sure there was, uh, whenever you're a child having to, um, you know, wander the streets for food, I'm sure there are certainly many dangerous people situations yes. that you need to um be aware of yeah. uh so with this high risk with the with the uncertainty that came along with just your daily life and the 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 lack of stability security mm-hmm. um and, and and then along with and then the poverty just <laughs> on top of all of that right uh, yes. how did this affect you as a child growing up and and what i mean is how did it affect you in terms of how you saw yourself in the world psychologically spiritually yeah, I, I think psychologically, I would uh, I would think of myself as you know useless, like you know some someone that is not really value, valued. You know, when you live in extreme poverty like that, uh, you don't even value yourself unless someone tries to change your mindset. So when you live in a in a specific mindset, because poverty is is mostly a mindset where unless you, that mindset is broken somehow it's very hard to get out of it and not just poverty even other social impact uh, but specifically for, for poverty is what I, I would talk about because that's what I have really experienced myself growing up um, and so when you live in a society where everyone is the same um, you feel like you cannot come out of it. Uh, you feel like you have no role model who has made it. You you don't have anyone you can look up to, especially if you are born in a family where that has been like the cycle. You mm-hmm. know, when you you are in a community that that has been a cycle. You know, like no one can you you can look up to. You only see people on TV that have made it, and no one in your community you can say uh, that person. Um, you know, made it. I think I also have a an opportunity here or a shot. So when it comes to things like you know security and child protection, I I never grew up knowing anything to do with child protection, and that's why sometimes it's very. You hear that vulnerable children, the, the most vulnerable people are children and you know and women, especially young women. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, whenever there is war, uh, whenever there is something or political instability, those are the most vulnerable people. Um, And so sometimes when you are living in extreme poverty, it's the same thing. Like you are so vulnerable that anything can happen to you. Anyone can take advantage of you because you feel like you have no protection and you have no hope, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So so feelings of uselessness, like you were talking about, uh, yeah. I'm sure along with that comes uh, the hopelessness, like you mentioned, yes. Um, yes. because you look at your family and you say, well, this is how uh, we have been for generations. Or you look around mm-hmm. at your community and no one else is different except for the people on TV. And so it makes yeah. you feel like where it will, what opportunity or hope is there for me? Uh, and then I'm sure along with that, too, uh, you had to have dealt with a degree of anxiety, Mm-hmm. Right. A- a- anxiety or just 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 worry, maybe. Uh, I mean, what about trust? Trust in just in, in people 
um, as a child trust in, uh, in, in older people and authority figures. Mm-hmm. I'm um, sure that had to have been a struggle as well. Absolutely. Mostly the, the people that you would trust mostly would be people closest to you, maybe family member, especially if you have a parent, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like mostly your mom. Uh, and sometimes you wouldn't trust um, anyone because of like what I mentioned about people can take advantage of you anytime mm. uh, because of your vulnerability. So that was mm. a, that 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 was an issue. Uh, but sometimes because poverty can take you to a point where it you are you are so miserable and so hopeless that you can just decide to trust anyone, and that's how people are taken advantage of. Because yeah. you can just be like, you know what? Let me, it's all about risking. You're like, let me just risk and trust this person that this person is is good, or this process or this situation is okay, or the promise I have it's okay. Yeah. So also even when you're going to school, the teachers, uh, most of them were very very good actually, uh, especially the one that were born again. There are some teachers when I was growing up, I will never forget that actually introduced me to, 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 to the life of Christ. And uh, we would come in the morning in school and they would help us sing and praise God and pray and read the Bible. And that's how I actually started feeling like, oh, I think God exists. Um, yeah, I trusted my teachers uh, more than the people I was living with in the community. Yeah. So I want to continue talking about your story. You know, so far, we've only covered your your early childhood yes. uh but before we get into that let me let me ask you one more thing uh yes. just related to to poverty and then you just in along with your experience yes um you talked about the the generational cycles that uh that people can get stuck into in families yes. or communities uh in, in poverty what do you mm-hmm. think are some of the uh contributing factors to uh to generational poverty that that families or communities can get stuck into uh it, it, what what causes that um that that cycle right and the inability yeah. to to break out of it i mean i'm sure i know that's a big question yeah. uh, but just in your experience what do you think it is that uh yeah. that causes that what are some of the contributing factors yeah i think i would say uh social inequality or economic uh inequality uh and uh, something that maybe opportunities, uh, because you find out like if you come from a rich family or if you come from a wealthy family, everyone in that family will have some kind of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, the other factor is injustices, you know, and uh, even I would say <laughs> selfishness, you know. And jealousy, jealous, because there are people that wouldn't want you to come. There's some kind of competition. Some people wouldn't want to, you to come out of that poverty so that you can continue depending on them. Or you, they can continue suppressing you uh, or using you or, you know, taking advantage of you because you are hopeless. So those generational curses, so... For example, or generational poverty. So, for example, if if let's say if your grandpa or people that were born long time ago, I would take an an example of Kenya, my country. Mm-hmm. Whoever was there in the nineteen sixties, nineteen 
fifties uh, or forties, or when before we got independent, whoever was in the government by then, and they were able to get wealthy uh, during that time. Up to today, they still have that wealth because it's it's passed on to a diff- another generation, and so it continues like that. If we have a family that loved God, a grandmother or grandfather who was serving Jesus and uh, was passionate about the life of Christ. They passed that to their families and families and families and generation. The same happens when you are in extreme poverty. If it didn't start long time ago, it's so hard to break it because that's what people are exposed to. So it continues. So it caused by uh, that injustices uh, where People want to take advantage of you. It's even impacted by uh, political, political instability, um, and even political aspect of the country, where uh, most people that are, you know, in, in political uh, seats, they even take advantage of, uh, you know, poor people. Actually, the most people that actually <laughs> vote is people who are not extremely rich, you know, the people that would go and line up in most of the most developing countries, um, they would line up and vote someone for, you know, you line up for hours and vote someone who had promised that they are going to do something, but yet they don't do it. And that community still continue living in poverty. So the other thing uh, that I believe that causes this generation uh, poverty is uh, tribalism, because uh, when when you think about a, a tribe, most most countries, especially when we go to the African continent, even here in the United States, every country has some kind of a tribe. Uh, and a tribe is people that, you know, they have the same um, uh, ethnicity and that kind of stuff. So, like, for example, here in the United States, you can think about Caucasian, uh, you can think about African-Americans, you can think about uh, Latinos and that kind of stuff. Even in other countries, when growing up, we had that. We had uh, different tribes. And so the reason I'm saying this is because when you think about uh, when it comes to, I wanted to tie this to politics. Uh, When you think about politics, uh, some bigger tribes will actually vote their people. Uh, And so that's one form of some kind of injustice to other smaller tribes. That means you'll find out that tribe has more advantage when it comes to businesses. It has more advantages when it comes to other things um, that help you be able to survive in in, in the world of chaos and in, in, even during this kind of pandemic and that kind of stuff. So with that, because of uh, it's the, because of political advantages of those bigger tribes, um, if the smallest tribes are in poverty, they don't even get the government resources as easily as these others. And mm-hmm. uh, there are so many, so many examples out there. Even whoever will be watching or listening to this, they they can tell. They know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Where if there is a smaller tribe somewhere, it's very hard for them to reach out to that to that. To, to that uh, resource uh, provided by the government. Uh, and so that's one of the reason, common reason in a bigger picture, uh, in, a, in a higher level of how poverty continues being in a community or in a specific family or in a specific community. 
Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think th those are things that, um, that we, that if you were born in a very prosperous area or, or country like, uh, like the United States, it can be easy to overlook. Um, yes. and, and especially it, it can be really easy to take for granted, uh, wherever you weren't born into that cycle of poverty, like you're talking about yes. and to forget that you have, that you, that you, in other words, stand upon the, uh, the fruit of generations that, that came before you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so go ahead and continue to tell us more about your story. Uh, so in a small village, family, living together, uh, very insecure situation, you know, mother working as much as she could. Uh, continue to tell us your story, kind of where we had left off earlier. Absolutely. So, um, so living in that situation I was talking about, um, where you wake up in the morning and you don't know how the day is going to look like. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, you try to survive, you know, you're walking, going to school, probably you don't even have uh, shoes on your feet and you come back home. They, you know, there's no means of survival. Um, I started living in fear, as you mentioned previously about living in uh, in a, some kind of uh, anxiety because you don't really know what will happen. For example, if you've witnessed a friend of yours, uh, you know, dying of maybe a curable disease, sometimes there would be, there would be like a cholera outbreak or typhoid or malaria. And you witness that, or you see that, or you hear that. And that's that, you know, that's a kid that you are playing with in the village. So that gives you fear of how am I going to wake up tomorrow? Like you are not, you don't have the assurance of living tomorrow. Uh, yeah. So that, that's one thing that, uh, that's, that's another thing that when you're in that hopelessness kind of living, that that's what, you know, it would be in your mind sometimes yeah. uh, or fear of even, am I even going to wake up tonight? Yeah. And so yeah. what started to change things in your life? So what changed thing in my life was uh, I was introduced to this organization called Compassion International. Uh, and I remember I joined Compassion. I really did not know about Compassion that well. I knew ab about other organizations. Um, and then, so when I joined Compassion, this uh, was uh, around 1994. Um, you know, I came to this big church, you know, it, the name of the church was, uh, it was just the title of the name of the church, Deliverance Church, but there was no compassion sign there that would tell me this is the, where the office of compassion is located, or there is a compassion center here. So all I, I saw was children running around, playing soccer, um, having so much fun. And then when I joined, uh, one thing I realized is that, you know, people, the kids would sing and, you know, we would sit down, we would memorize Bible verses. We would read about the word of God. Um, like that was a mandatory to come every, it was required every Saturday when we come together, you have to recite a memory verse of what 
you learned last week. And so the word of God was introducing to me like that, uh, deeper, in a deeper level. And that started changing my perspective about life. I actually even realized, wait a minute, poverty can be actually a different thing. It's not just a lack of food. It's not just lack of nice clothes. It's actually even lack of that spiritual uh, knowledge or just because you can have everything in this world, but uh, it's, it's, it's vanity, you know, you, yeah. you won't, if you die, you won't, you won't go with it. What about the et- eternal life? So I, I, when I was introduced to that eternal life, I realized, wait a minute, actually the suffering in this world is just temporarily this happiness after this. And so when they kept talking about such things, that actually gave me so much hope. So hope started coming back in my life. Um, and I started serving in, in, in our church. So that started changing my perspective. It changed my, the, the, the mental uh, poverty uh, thinking, you know, the, the, the inferiority complex that's brought by extreme hopelessness and, uh, and, and lack of confidence. So because, you know, the, the, the people that we met there, the staff of Compassion would, you know, you would give you so much courage, would keep talking great things about you. They would instill this greatness, like, hey, you are loved, you know. Uh, they would give you, they would give us sometimes uh, some kind of uh, position of uh, leadership, like, hey, uh, you know, help these boys, your age mate. So you guys are going to play soccer, but I want to make sure you are going to be responsible of them wherever they are going. So you are like, you know, 10, 12 years old, you know, you are given that responsibility. So you start becoming almost like a leader at that small age. So you start changing your mind to know that, oh, I have to become responsible. I have to behave differently than these people so that I can be a leader so that they can follow me. Uh, we started reading about Moses and, and how people would follow him. Uh, we started reading about Jesus and how people would follow him. And we started realizing, okay, leadership is all about, you know, leading. It's not management, it's leading. You know, it's like people looking at you and being like, okay, let's follow this direction. Uh, and so that started changing my mind and my perspective about life, social life. So, so social poverty, it was eradicated somehow in my mind. It was, was broken, the social, the spiritual part of poverty. Because I realized, as I mentioned, poverty is not about wealth and uh, all these things that we have. That, that will come. Actually, the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. And sometimes we might do it in reverse, you know, where we, we, we seek those wealth and everything. Like actually when I was living in that extreme poverty, if I had the opportunity, that's what I would have done is to look for wealth. Because that's naturally way of doing things. That's how yeah. we are wired. That's how we are programmed. Yeah. Uh, only to realize when in the life of Christ, you seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things will be added unto you. So once I started realizing that, I realized, oh, so I have not lost. Yes, I've lived all this suffering, but I did not really lose. Because let me now start seeking the kingdom of God and the other things will be added unto me. And actually my life started changing completely to the person I am today. Yes. Interesting. So had your, had your material situation really changed by then? 
Um, in terms of the material poverty? Yes, absolutely. So that started changing because when I joined uh, the organization of Compassion International, uh, someone uh, from England uh, sponsored me, a family. Um, they were able to to start, you know, supporting us um, monthly. Mm-hmm. And that started changing. Uh, and at this time, during that time, um, uh, something that I m- missed to mention that when I was growing up, when I, if I can go just a little bit uh, back, mm-hmm. when I, uh, when when I was living in that fear of what would happen to me, I lost my mom um, mm. uh, from a sickness, and uh, that's when we started living with uh, with uh, different relatives in our family, my grandmother. Um, and so after some time we we left the village and we reconciled with uh, with our dad who had remarried by then so life was a little bit different it was still in extreme poverty but everything we got from the compassion project of our program i was able to share with the family and so life started changing materially uh, we also changed the location from the village uh, to closer to Nairobi, where resources are much different. The poverty in the city, in a bigger city, is actually different in a village. In the village, you have you you, you can get sometimes uh, you know water from the river and that kind of stuff. In a city, you need water from a running tap, maybe outside, shared by the community and that kind of stuff. So materially, things started changing, and I also started being able to get you know good nice clean clothes from from the compassion center healthcare dental checkup and um, from the compassion center you would get a uh, food you know clean good food healthy food uh balanced diet and so like you start blossoming like a flower changing every single day like you compare the the kid that was there in uh, five years uh, 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 10 years ago and then you look at that person uh after around 10 or, you know, after a few years, because they are exposed also not just to material stuff, but to love. You know, they are surrounded with people that they love. Love can do miracles. Love is a big deal. When you have someone who cares for you, when you have someone who actually can come and, and caring for you, it's not just, it's not just giving you stuff. It, it's even correcting you. It's mentoring you. Is telling you the truth, like, hey, I don't like your behavior. You know, is you know, change this. You know, I don't like what you're doing here. It's about that. They care in a different. They care with love, but they also care by disciplining you and telling you what's the right direction to take. And when you do that as a young child, as a young uh, young man, you are able to have that as a foundation in your life. That means even when you grow up. That foundation will never be shaken. That foundation will never be uh, destroyed because mm-hmm. it's actually at almost like subconscious. It's at subconscious mind. You just leave that foundation of, oh, let me make the right decision. So at the Compassion Center, they would give us the opportunities to make the right decision, um, uh, you know, based on what the word of God is so you have those people that you can look up to not just your parents actually you have like those mentors um in your community that can 
uh, encourage you and, and, and it can uh, actually at the same time discipline you at the, like by sitting down with you and uh, giving you counsel of like, hey, I did this when I was your age. And if you continue doing this, you'll get lost. Yeah. 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 So you you were receiving some uh, some material help in, in, in just the most basic forms, just clean clothing, good yes. clean clothing, uh, yes. uh, better nutrition. Yeah. You're talking about, but the, it sounds like where the real transformation and power came from, along mm-hmm. with those things that, are, that were necessary, uh, mm-hmm. was the, the spiritual resources. Like you said, seek first mm-hmm. the kingdom and how much that, that transformed your life. And then the yes. mentorship that yes. was provided to you with some great, great leaders that were investing into you. Yes, absolutely. Because I realized the material stuff um, was not actually seriously a big deal because I was like, this foundation these guys are giving me will help me become independent and buy myself my material stuff, you know? So they never actually, you know, one thing about I like about uh, the program of compassion, it doesn't really actually pay more attention or put all their efforts on those material things because they know what they are doing with you, the development, how they are developing you, you'll be able to provide yourself at some point. Uh, it's yeah. all about that, giving you you that hope. It's like teaching you how to fish and actually even giving you a, a, a fishing pond where there is fish and you fish, you know, uh, everything so that you become uh, independent uh, because the, the, the vision and the mission was, uh, uh, you know, creating leaders to become uh, mature Christian adults. Uh, so, and, and that's what I would say was the greatest thing that I, I ever got from, you know, gained from the whole program of uh, Compassion International and that sponsorship and everything. Um, so the other hope that I got was uh, a poverty that was eradicated from my mind and from my life was the ability to go to school and uh, have an education. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the most ex- expensive uh, thing in most of African countries is education. And also, unfortunately, it's needed. Most people, that's what gives them much hope. By then, if you were you had an education, you had some kind of hope that after school, I'll be able to uh, you know, get an employment or even employ people or start a business or just have some kind of uh, analytical mindset. And uh, that's what I was, I, I, I was able to have. I was so blessed that I, I was the only person in my family, in my generation, uh, to, uh, to be able to graduate not only from high school, but actually from college. So I went to the University of Nairobi. We call it the University of Nairobi. Used to joke that there are only two universities in Kenya. There was the University of Nairobi and the rest or the others. So, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so <That's> great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a blessing and a, and a privilege to have that opportunity to get an education. Yeah. Yeah, it's great to hear that because so I've been uh sponsoring with compassion uh for about 12 years now yes um and uh and so as a a compassion sponsor uh it's really really great to hear about you know this what is it 38 dollars a month 
right? Yes. What, it's really nice to hear, like, what does it go to? And, and to hear yes. that from somebody who, who was on the other side of that, um, mm-hmm. to hear that like, you were, once somebody started sponsoring you, you mm-hmm. started to receive resources. You started to receive those basic needs that you were yes. in lack of, those material things. Yes. Um, but then it was also uh, enabling uh, the ability for them to have those those workers and mentors, guides who were discipling you uh, yes. and giving you those resources, which are even richer and and even more necessary in a certain sense than the the material blessings. And so it's so great to hear that you were receiving that that you and that any you know child uh, who is sponsored by Compassion is receiving both of those. Yes. Um, what do you think it is that because there are other organizations and ministries out there, and there's there's other great ones, uh, but what do you think? sets Compassion International apart in how they do what they do on the ground, whether it's in Kenya or, um, or, or any other nation around the world? What sets Compassion apart? I believe when we think about, when we take all the uh, organizations around the world, uh, the reason why Compassion becomes a very unique and, it, you know, something that sets it apart is... Uh, the ability for them to partner with a church like there has to be a church for compassion to operate in a in a country or in a community and so it's one way of making disciples uh where when you do that actually you realize just by giving people money and material stuff it's not enough so what compassion does, the reason why it's very unique and very successful, it looks at the holistic development of a child where you have this child who, yes, they need clothes, but you realize that's not even more important than their future. So you invest in their future by looking at the holistic child development. So you are looking at social impact uh, of this child, the, the social poverty, uh, you are looking at the economic, you know, that's like food and uh, those material stuff. And you're also looking at the um, spiritual aspect of that. Because even if you get all these others and spiritually you are not okay, you are still in extreme poverty. You will not make the right decision in life. You will make mm-hmm. the wrong decision sometimes, you know. If, if you don't have um, a hope, even after the life, after this death, it's like compassion brings this hope to even eternity, even when you leave this world, because it, it introduces you to that foundation of spiritual part of uh, poverty. And when that is eradicated in your life, you realize even your family itself, they will look at you and see a different in this kid that's been sponsored. And they will also, you will also influence them to follow in uh, Christ. So, I think that's the greatest uniqueness of uh, of what why compassion is set up, you know, apart from all the other organization I've ever seen or I've ever even worked for is that holistic development of a child, where the thirty eight dollars that you're giving to that child, it goes way beyond what you are thinking. Because some of us think about, I, I've talked to people who would say, um, I thought. You give this child that that money. You give that family that money. No, when you do that, you'll be doing it the wrong way because that money will not do anything. You will keep 
enabling them like you will not help this family to get out of poverty because you you will not even change their mindset that they can actually do this themselves so compassion comes alongside what we do we we come alongside programs and projects that have already existed like those churches they already have their own programs of eradicating poverty in that or in that community and so we support them and then they support us so it's like a partnership yeah. and uh, that has really it's, it has really helped because when when it's a partnership the other person does not feel inferior that oh i have to you know i have to beg you to give me no they had already started the program already and now we are just coming to partner with that yeah so you know this savior mentality that's the best thing about compassion because you can see it's not there it's a partnership with a, with a local church that has already been doing it and they have resources already and so we are just coming alongside them and helping them uh, and supporting them so that money goes beyond what we ever thought it would do yeah yeah that's excellent that's one of the reasons that i love compassion and that i have yeah. uh continued to sponsor over the years and just uh, year after year, grown more and more appreciative, uh, and mm-hmm. and um, and growing in admiration for what compassion does because of that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think their their philosophy of of ministry and of uh, engaging in poverty is uh, is is absolutely excellent. And uh, and yeah. like you said at the start, I love that they uh, partner with local churches. Uh, I just think that's fantastic. Yes. Mm-hmm. They're not swooping in, setting up their own centers. Um, you know, completely foreign to whatever local context they're in. They're going right into that yeah. community and empowering yes. the uh, the people who are already being the hands and feet of Christ in that community. Yes. And so that's really Absolutely. incredible. Absolutely. Uh, what are some things that you, now that you've been, how long have you been in America now? I've been in America for the last uh, six years now. Okay. Yes, I came here in 2000 and uh, I think this would be my seventh year, 2014 at the at the around december uh november 2014 so around seven years now yes yeah yeah and so what do you think now that you you've been in america several years now and uh and obviously even before that i mean you've been working uh not just from your own experience but also profession or if we can say professionally right yeah uh you've been you've been working with with with, uh alleviating poverty and so on what do you think are some blind spots are just ways that we really think about and approach poverty in the wrong way here in the States. If you can kind of give us an, an outside observer's viewpoint. Yes. Uh, So when I think about, when, when when I look at uh, poverty here in the United States, uh, I know, uh, you know, per the standard of the United States, per the standard of an already developed world, it's a it's a very different it's a very different type of poverty here, and to be honest, the, the greatest poverty here in the United States, sorry to say, is the spiritual aspect. Um, and so the way we the way we do things here in the United States to try and er- eradicate the poverty that we have, it might continue like that forever and forever, and it will not eradicate anything because it's more of handouts. It's what I was talking about. Uh, when you compare to what compassion does, 
is uh, more educational and being there and social and spiritual and that kind of stuff. But the handouts that I see we do here to try, you know, the, 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 the government projects and, uh, and policies, sometimes they do not really have a permanent, permanent solution. Uh, it makes you feel like, okay, um, yes, I'm being somehow supported by the government or I'm being supported by this policy to get out of poverty, but it seems like I will depend on it forever. So, for example, if you think about uh, someone who is told um, once, that, once you start working and making money, you'll uh, start uh, paying uh, the, the taxes and everything. But if you don't work, I'll give you money and for, to sustain you. So it's almost like, uh, you know, it, it, what I was talking about is almost like the chain. It's the same as the chain of poverty where you have to depend on that forever. And then you live in the fear I was talking about of coming out of it. Because even when you have the opportunity to come out of it, you don't want to come out of it because you're like, I'm so used to this. So if the policies could be changed a little bit in a way that there is that permanent solution, uh, maybe, you know, giving options for education, even just trade skills and that kind of stuff that would help because uh, here in the United States, w this is one of the most rich countries in the world. There is resources to do that. The same amount of money we can give people every month uh, just to survive uh, from the social, uh, from from the social, of, of, from the social security, or from from the taxes that we tax people, and then give them to this other group it, the same amount we can use that to bring out uh you know like opportunities for work and stuff what if for example if if i was a mayor of of a city here or something i would say i would tell every person that depend on the government is that hey look for a job look for something i'll give you probably a shelter somewhere to live for a for one year, no taxes for one year, no whatever, any obligation for one year until you get up on your feet. That's like, that's a good form of sponsorship where this person, there are people who would want that. There are people who would be like, absolutely, I don't want handouts. I don't want to be given. I want to work. I want to feel valued. I want to feel appreciated. I want to feel part of the community because these handouts and everything, it even makes it worse in the mental capacity. What I was talking about in reality complex and lack of confidence, that's where it comes from. Um, but if you are supported and then you are let, okay, here you are, we've done everything we can just now continue. I'm not sure if that, that, that there is anything like that, but that's what I, how I would do it if, uh, from, from a political science perspective, if I had the yeah. opportunity to bring something like that, you know, is to support someone for a specific period of time and then give them the opportunity not to be obligated by anything. Don't worry about because that's the fear people have. Um, it's once you have that address home address that's it mm. you know 
Once you have yeah. the home address, you feel like now you 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 have so many obligation of um, uh, you know life might become even tougher than what it was before when you are depending on the government. So those government projects would help a lot if it, they were approached in a, a sustainable way where people can get out of poverty. Because the poverty here, what I talked about, I was talking about extreme poverty. But the poverty that we have here is more mental than, more social and me me mental than, uh, than, than material. We have the material stuff. We have everything. Yeah. But yeah, what we have here is like just trying to approach it in a different perspective. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Do you think in the once so this might be going a little bit outside of the yeah. the topic of of poverty, but it's connected. Yeah. Do you what is the connection between because this seems to be a universal whether we're talking about uh, uh, Kenya or whether we're talking about America? Yeah. What seems to be the connection between uh, generational or cyclical poverty uh, yeah. and family breakdown? Because yeah. you mentioned, we don't have to go into detail in your story, but you mentioned that uh, it sounds like your father was out of your life for a while, but then yes. there was some reconciliation. Yes. Um, and whenever you look here in, in the States, uh, you see that uh, there's an obvious direct correlation. Wherever yes. there is uh, there is poverty here in the States, mm -hmm. there's family break, breakdown. Um, yes. And, and that, go, that transcends any ethnic barriers as well. That, that's that's uh, poor white communities that's poor mm. black communities poor mm -hmm. communities anywhere what what's the connection between those because yeah. i think that's that's kind of a mystery to a lot of us here in america oh absolutely 100 percent uh there is a great connection there um you know when you have two parents of two people bring in um, some resources in a family uh, the burden is a little bit less. There is that burden that people are able to encourage one another. Uh, there is that peace. There is that assurance of uh, we have a family. But also, if there, if it's only one parent uh, trying to take care of five kids, just like my mom did, then it makes things worse because the burden then becomes even worse if there is only one income in the family, especially depending on where you are living at. Um, it, it, you will never move on. You'll never move from one, you know, one step to another. Actually, you might even be going moving down because of uh, um, uh, the way things are going uh, when it comes to inflation. So if you're earning $40,000 and your husband was earning $50,000, that's $90,000. If you separate or if that person is no longer there, you are $40,000, including the inflation. Then if you are depending on $90,000 previously, and now you're at $40,000 or maybe fifty dollars or whatever, and then including the inflation on it, it makes things worse. And that's where depression comes in. That's where hopelessness comes in. That's where anxiety comes in because you are, you are, you are you're just moving, trying to make sure that the deadlines for the bills, you know, are not, you know, they are coming. So you can imagine how much poverty causes even some of social impact we are seeing today with depression. Most of that is because of 
running up and down and you know the all the anxiety we have and you know why because you're like i'm alone and also that loneliness of family breakup and 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 some kind of uh, embarrassment and some kind of uh, stereo, stereotype that people look at you you are ostracized by the you know by the community by friends by so it changes so much in your in your in your in your in your, in your psychology and in your mind that it causes you to start start thinking start having depression or the anxiety you're thinking about the children it doesn't matter whether you you are, you have um you, you know it doesn't even matter whether sometimes you you have you have something like uh you know a good you're earning better money at the end of the year because you also have that mental po- poverty where you are not stable uh and so family breakup is is you know break out and break up whatever it's 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 a big deal that causes poverty you know lack of one parent one as another parent in the family or a leader or a head of the family or something or someone who if you have like the boys they need someone there to mentor them if you have the girls they need someone to mentor them who understand you know to become uh, you know a, a girl you know like what are things that you will go through and that kind of stuff someone they mm-hmm. can sit down so, someone that a girl can sit down and be vulnerable with and open up someone that a boy can sit down and be vulnerable and open up some of the things that they are going through so if we don't they don't have that foundation then it becomes very confusing and uh, poverty continues being a cycle because you know like those children in that family that's what they will only know that's this is the exposure we have this is how life is supposed to be and this is how maybe you know they don't even have idea any idea or even a vision of how they can come over out of it and that's that's what we call cycle of poverty is even lack of ideas of because you've never been exposed to something yeah yeah wow Well, it's certainly some uh some big complex issues, right? And there's <laughs> and, and you know, there we 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 can point to so many uh I don't know, uh, crossovers and intersections of issues, you know, yeah. uh the poverty and then the the family and um you know, the the uh substance abuse issues that come along with Mm-hmm. uh depression anxiety and uh yes. the, the moral issue just everything else there's there's so much to it um you know but praise god that we have uh we have a savior who can overcome it all bring healing Amen. uh to it all uh that we're equipped with his message and that uh and that if we focused on what you talked about very early on in the conversation to bring the kingdom right to spread the kingdom Yeah. understand that brings true liberation and then with that empowering people to become the men and women that God uh designed them to be well then um then with that plan we can't fail right that's true uh, absolutely just keep doing our best while God has us on this earth so absolutely uh, yeah well david yeah. we have uh we have gone through our time i just want to thank you so much again for for joining us on this episode of filter talking to us uh, about yes. your story and your perspective on poverty Uh, and what uh and the work that compassion does i want to encourage everybody who has watched or listened to this episode to at least go and check out compassion look at the work that they're doing on their uh on their website in uh dozens and dozens of countries 
around the world. Uh, they truly stand tall above uh, many other groups that are doing this for the reasons we talked about in this episode. Uh, yes. Maybe you're already a sponsor and this will inspire you to, you to sponsor someone else. Right. Awesome. Uh, let us all uh, uh, shoot for radical generosity. So once again, go to Compassion's website and consider sponsorship. Uh, they also gave me a, uh, a a link that listeners of this show can go to to sponsor, and that is CINTL, so a uh, abbreviation of Compassion International, CINTL.us slash Aaron Champ. So that's CINTL.us slash Aaron Champ. If you go to that link, you can get information and start up your Compassion uh, sponsorship, and uh, and they'll know that you got to listen to David's story wherever you sign up through that link. Awesome. So, uh, David, I want to thank you so much once again. Um, yes. I'm going to be linking to Compassion and to um, that. I'm going to include that special link in the descriptions beneath this on YouTube and on podcasts, as well yes. as in the show notes, so all you guys can get access to that. Uh, share David's story, tell other people about Compassion so that uh, we can spread, uh, help compassion in their work to spread the kingdom around the world. Yeah. So, uh, David, awesome. once again, I want to thank you for joining us today on Filter. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. I really appreciate you. Uh, may God bless you with the work you're doing. Uh, and I hope so many people will go out there. Please subscribe. Uh, there's great stuff out there. Thank you so much, Aaron, for what you're doing. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, AaronChamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast to the anchor.